wonder if an itchy eyeball is kind of like a yawn. Because you start talking about your eyeball itching and my eyeball started to itch. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either, but my eyeball did start to itch, so I'm like, I gotta scratch my eye now, so uh, it still itches. It's my powers of persuasion. You know, like, honestly, sometimes, like, there are two feelings that just feel really good. Getting to scratch your eyeball when it itches, like, if it itches really, really badly, Uh and you get to scratch it, and cleaning your ears. Oh, yeah, that is a great feeling. Like, Where it hits oh. really good and you go cross-eyed for a second. Uh-huh. And you don't want to stop and like you just <laughs> want to go just a tiny bit deeper. But you know if you do, you're going to end up shoving it right in your eardrum and then it's going to hurt and your ear, ear is going to ache all day. So you yeah. don't. But you're just like, maybe just a tiny. No. It's, no you're no further. You're, you're no teetering further, but on, it feels so good. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're teetering on like the razor's edge of like, oh. So. Pleasure and pain. Right. Just how right, I like so. it. So let us <laughs> let us begin with the first part, <sighs> and then the second part. I'm Ren. I'm Tammy, and this is. I love a good rabbit hole. Nailed it. Hot because damn. we do. <laughs> I'm sure we'll fuck up some other time, yeah. some way, somehow. Like we're on it for this episode, but like next episode, you're going to be like, and you are, and I'm going to be like, like twelve minutes about? in. <laughs> What is she talking about? She knows who the fuck I am. What does she mean? What's wrong with her? That's amazing. That would be us. Mm-hmm. So how are you? Happy happy day to you. Happy recording day. I'm I'm okay. I'm I want to take a nap. <laughs> I did too. Like you messaged me, and I was like, "But I still have an hour." Oh, I don't have an hour. It was ten thirty when I messaged you. Yeah, I I know, but like I was oh, thinking that I still had an hour before you messaged, and I was like, I don't have an hour. I'm supposed to go to a wedding reception for a friend of Mark's, and this person is very nice, and their their wife is very nice. I don't want to go. Yeah, no, I'd much rather have Afghani warlords bleed me from my liver. Thank you very much. Yep. I just would so much. I like yesterday I had to go to a kid's birthday party at like indoor playland underwater hell. And I was enough socialness for me. Right. Like, You're like, mm, it's done. too peopley out there for me. Yeah. And I mean, people are fine in small doses, but it's like, that was enough. I had conversations. They were great. Now I'm done. See, you are so much better an actress than me in social settings. I'm not joking. I'm to the point where if I'm forced to go to a social setting, I'm barely smiling at you. You're lucky I don't stab you in the face. Don't approach me. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. I'm here because I was forced to be here. I did not do it voluntarily. My back is up against the wall and all I do is glare until somebody finally gets it and says, let's go home, Tammy. That's my social. Now you know why (laughs) I wear makeup. Makeup is putting on my mask. Yeah. That way I've got this mask on my face so that I'm like smiling. Just smile and nod. Uh huh. Because I've got glitteriness on my eyes and people are like, oh, your makeup looks lovely. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And then. Like they they think I'm an approachable human, and then I can fake it because I've got a mask on, and nobody wants to ask any deeper of who I am. It's just how I fake it. 
It's easy. Again, you fake it. I don't fake it. I let you know I don't want to be around you. My face will tell you what my mouth can't say. I do it for my daughter. Yeah, I understand. Because she is so social. So social. See, Matt and I have come to the conclusion that our social butterfly, like, she just kind of balances us perfectly because Matt and I are introverts. We're extremely antisocial. We we don't like people. Juliana, oh my god, she is the social butterfly. She's the one that goes flitting around the room, making sure everybody's okay, having conversations with everybody, blah, blah, blah. That is too much energy that I just don't fucking have. So we leave that part up to her. <laughs> like, Someday you and I are going to have to actually discuss <laughs> your relationship because I, while accepting of it, totally don't understand it because I'm like, <laughs> what? We are polyamorous. You can look up the word. It'll describe well, it. Well, I didn't I didn't know if you wanted to discuss <laughs> yeah. that on the podcast with the peeps because I got nothing to know, hide. Hey, you know it's your personal life. I let you keep your personal life compartmentalized. I'm sitting here in a fucking cotton candy colored unicorn hoodie that's the size of a couch. I got you. Yeah. It literally is the size of a couch. I have absolutely no reason to hide I just, who I am or I, it's just, it's curiosity that, you know, is like, so are you dating Juliana too? No. Or no? She's a really good friend. Like, I'd say my in-house best friend. I mean, of course, you and Anna hold those titles way higher since, you know, 20 plus years. But um, yeah, she's, she's one of my best friends. And I have. I've always had rivalry with Anna. No relationship really outside of that. I have a boyfriend of over seven years that I love dearly. He loves me. He just happens to be married happily for 20 years. So it works. And you don't have to have <laughs> sex with him if you don't want to. No, I have my own room. I sleep on my own. He, Matt stays with me once once a week in, in my room. And yeah. Or if you don't want him to. You're like, eh. Yeah, like last night. Oh, God, my hips are out so bad and they're pulling. They hurt. So like, seriously, right now you can't see it, but I'm sitting on a heating pad because my hips hurt so bad. (laughs) We're both old. And also, like, dear God, like I was I was planning for one of our future episodes and like I was doing some research on it. And that's why I needed to know your date of birth or your year of birth. And I was like, wait a minute. How is it you're only a year younger than me? Why? First of all, I always thought you were like, I don't know, like five years younger than me. I don't know why. If it makes you feel any better, I too thought you were older than I was. More than a year. Right. I thought you were at right. least two or three years older. Right. I mean, it's it's because I have my shit together. <laughs> <laughs> you said it with a straight face too. <laughs> I know. As I sit here looking at my unicorn hoodie that's on my head. <laughs> Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> right. Anyway. All right. So, what are we recording during? This is December. People are holiday shopping. People yep. are out spending tons of money they don't have. Mm-hmm. I bet they all wish they could rob a bank. I bet they do, too. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Also, for those of you who are listening, because you can't see me, I literally am like doing little like flipper hands going, look at my segue, look at my segue. <laughs> like, You're a, a dumbass. Yep. 
someday when we become much, much, much more famous podcasters, um, we'll never do YouTube and you'll never see what we look like because we always look like complete and utter jackasses. <laughs> That's the best part. Though. Tammy always Tammy always looks homeless and I always look like a freezing Eskimo. I don't always look homeless. You always are in a tank top with your hair in a ponytail, laying on a bed. Uh, that's the only room in my house that I can record in. I mean, I could say you look like a meth head. And, no, I still have You're all You're laying my on teeth. a mattress. I'm sitting on my bed that has a bed frame that is extremely tall off of there. You, you make me sound like I'm living in it. You know what? We're done talking about this. Let's just talk about heists. <laughs> and robberies. Uh, yes. Dun, dun, dun. The Italian job. I mean, you would think. God, I love, I love a good heist movie. Like I've seen all of the Oceans movies. I've seen the Italian job. Like I don't even know how many more times. Like I, I wanted, I wanted a Mini Cooper because of that movie. <laughs> My legs would not fit in a Mini Cooper. No, I'd have no, to strap them to the roof. But still, also, you'd have to pull a high tower and yank the driver's seat out and sit in the back. I just want to ride in a Mini Cooper with Mark Wahlberg. So. Yeah. I mean, he's still a beautiful man. They're cramped little cars. They are, but they're so cute. They actually have a huge history of, like, a racing history. Did you yes. know that? I didn't know. Yes, like, I did. I mean, that's just nuts. Like, those little guys yeah. are just like... Speaking of information, did you know that according to the FBI, roughly half of all armored vehicle, ro- vehicle robberies in the entire nation take place in the Houston, Texas region? Is that because that's where there's the most armored cars? Didn't say. Is there like a huge like deposit? I almost said suppository. <laughs> no, no, wrong. A Tory. No, there uh, is a, there is a huge suppository there. It's called their senator. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> now um, we've just yeah, lost no, our one I, listener from Texas. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Texas. Yeah, no, I don't know. Huh. I just I thought That's that was information funny. while I was doing my research. Is more than half. Well, by all means, dazzle me with some armored car knowledge because people are out there spending money and armored cars are probably fat with loot right now. So here's what I came up with. People be crazy around the holidays. So when we're thinking or dreaming visions of sugar plums or the official Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot range model air rifle that we'll probably shoot our eye out with, everyone gets Christmas fever. Sugar plum. Sugar plum. Oh my god, I'm going to derail you for 2.3 seconds. <laughs> By the way, as soon as the sugar plum Danish showed back up at Starbucks, I lost my damn minds and I've had one like almost every single morning. Like, so much for trying to lose weight. I'm just going to end up being a brimbolo because I fracking love those. Okay, go ahead. Snowman cookies are my vice. Oh. Bro. Yeah. Try the sugar plum Danish. Just try it. I bought a case of snowman cookies two oh. years ago. <laughs> A case, because they couldn't sell them, and I was like, just hand me the case. So they sold me the case of cookies. So much of a fat kid I am. Anyway. That's um, way more than me with my sugar plum danishes. Yeah, you've always had self-control. I haven't, so. Um. (laughs) Unicorn hoodie! So, everyone gets the Christmas fever, however, some of us go a little further. During Black Friday sales, frights, fights break out, kids get run over, and general anarchy. People so, lose their lives. Mm-hmm. People are extremely unhappy, so unhappy, in fact, that they decide to take what they want, even if by force. 
So I got three. They're, sh- they're short ones. So the first one was Birmingham, Alabama, December 2018. According to Birmingham police, two unknown suspects used chemical spray to detain the delivery driver of a Brinks truck. He was servicing an ATM at a nearby bank. The driver was treated on scene. Police act. Police. He was servicing the ATM? Yes, he was loading it. I I was being naughty. Oh, (laughs) Wink, wink. I, I can't see you being naughty while you're wearing a unicorn hood on your head. Just... Anyway. Poli- <laughs> oh my god, my hair. <laughs> okay. Good? Okay. Yeah. Police said the suspects got away with an undisclosed amount of cash from the brakes truck. At last check, there the suspects were two black males still on the run. The rewards totaling over $10,000 are being offered for. So how much do you think they got away with that? Uh, you know, um, it all depends on what he was looking. It could be anywhere from half a million to a couple hundred thousand. Yeah. Because I know uh, when we used to um, fill the ATMs at the casino, they were smaller mm-hmm. cassettes and we could put... 300,000 I want to say in 20s in one cassette and there's usually two of each cassette so yeah wow um so let's see this one Hartford Connecticut 1988 the suspects were caught on this one here's the fun part um a nice. former New Britain restaurant tour maybe the Santa Claus bandit uh the man who used a Santa suit and a handgun to rob an armored car of more uh, almost seven hundred thousand dollars during Christmas season in nineteen eighty eight apparently Jeffrey steiner thirty nine former owner of Baker's restaurant New Britain was arrested by the FBI and charged in connection with the robbery of six hundred ninety five thousand five hundred dollars from Dunbar armored car in West Hartford days before Christmas in 1988. This was his second confirmed heist. His first one was March of 1987, where he had, he took over just over a million dollars. And apparently he used that to open his restaurant, which then closed in 1990. And yeah, apparently he he couldn't, he had a million dollars and he couldn't keep his restaurant open for more than two years. Apparently not. Must his food must have sucked. Sucked something awful. Yeah. And then lastly, this one I started reading and I couldn't stop. I was obsessed with it. So this one's called the Santa Claus Heist from December twenty third, nineteen twenty seven. Um, nice. The Santa Claus robbery occurred December twenty third, nineteen twenty seven, in central Texas town of Cisco. Marshall Ratliff, dressed as Santa Claus, along with Henry Helms and Robert Hill as well as Lewis Davis, held up the First National Bank in Cisco. The robbery is one of Texas's most infamous crimes, having invoked the largest manhunt ever in the state. Eyewitnesses oh, wow. wrote that this was the most spectacular crime in the history of the Southwest, surpassing Billy the Kid or the James Boys. Shut up. Yeah. Wow. This entire story was fucked from the word go. So this guy, Marshall Ratliff, dressed up as Santa Claus, parked like a block away, and then started walking down the street to this bank, right? Dressed up as Santa. On 
dressed up as Santa, on the way, he was stopping and entertaining little kids. Like, little kids were accosting him, and he was patting them on the head and having a good old time with them. Well, I mean, at least yeah. he didn't break the break the costume. Until he was inside. Once inside, Ratliff received a pleasant greeting of, Hello, Santa, from the cashier. He did not respond, but walked to the desk in the middle of the lobby, where big customers wrote out their deposit slips. Again, the teller win- teller at the window called out, Hello, Santa, with no response. Right at this point, Ratliff's accomplice, Robert Hill, entered the bank, pointed a pistol at the cashier, and yelled, Hands up. The second bandit, Henry Helms, also entered, brandishing a gun, followed by the third man, Davis. Dang, that's a lot. Yeah, there was four Santa, of them. Santa, and were they dressed up as elves? Oh, please say they were dressed up as elves. It doesn't say that they were dressed up. All they ever said was that Ratliff was dressed up like Santa. I was really hoping that they were the elves. That would have made it just epic. Um, if I ever do a movie about this, I'm dressing them up as elves. Whether they were dressed or not, I'm doing it. <laughs> they need to be dressed up as elves. Yes. Like, 100%. Yes. Um, Ratliff pushed through the swinging door, past the cashier's desk, went to the cashier's cage opened a drawer under the counter and removed a pistol from that location. So now all four of them were brandishing pistols. Wait, so he had a pistol hidden in the bank? See, that's what wasn't clear. I got this off of Wikipedia. It just said that he pushed his way through the swinging door, went into the drawer, and picked up a pistol. So I don't know if banks had pistols where you were able to carry a pistol at the bank and somebody just had it stashed in the drawer. I don't know, but he did find one inside of the bank. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting, too. I was like, wait, so did somebody inside help him get it? But it doesn't sound like. Anyway. Um, so let's see. This is where they, the things start going really, really bad. Um, unseen by four robbers, bank patron Miss B.P. Blassengame. Go ahead. I'll wait. But <laughs> B.P. Blassengame? Oh my god, she sounds like she should have been a librarian that all the kids made fun of, like... <laughs> At least. Oh my god, that last name. Yeah. I wonder what um, her real name was, or if her name was like B. Like B-E-A. It's an initial, so I'm guessing it was probably like Bertha. Why did... I thought Bertha too. I was like, why is it the Bertha... I mean, I there's so many other B names, like Betty, or um, Beatrice, or... I almost said Veronica, which isn't a name. Well, it is now. <laughs> now okay. So, Miss BP Blassengame and her six-year-old daughter, Frances, entered the bank in hopes of seeing Santa, not knowing of robbery was in progress. Immediately realizing the danger, Mrs. Blassingame charged her way with her daughter through the bookkeeping office of the bank, announcing they're robbing the bank. As she reached for the door to the alley, she quickly unlocked the door, thrusting her daughter out into the alley while yelling at her to run, and despite warnings from the robbers that they would shoot, escaping herself. She then screamed for help as she ran the one block to City Hall and the police department, alerting Chief Police Bedford and most of the Cisco citizenry about the robbery. Oh my gosh, they're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it gets worse. It gets way worse. It it doesn't ever get better for these guys. It just continues downhill. (laughs) It's like, you guys are the worst robbers ever. Um, so let's see. So the police and other citizens are grabbing weapons 
and they're running to the bank. Who shot first is unclear. Some sources state Brad Ratliff dressed as Santa fired first, the bullet striking the big bank's plate glass window, possibly to signal unseen accomplices that the robbery had been accomplished. Other sources say that Hill, seeing someone outside, fired a shot through the window, and a shot was returned prompting Hill to fire several more into the ceiling so that they were armed. So now these guys are barricaded inside with a bunch of hostages, and police and citizens are outside going, come on, you guys are going to lose. Um, the robbers force the people out of the bank, or in the bank, out the door towards their blue sedan. Several of the hostages were wounded as they emerged into the alley. Um, the bank's president, Alex Spears, was also one of the ones that was injured. Um, most of the customers escaped. However, the robbers kept as hostages two little girls. Laverne Comer, 12, and Emma Mae Robertson, 10. Using the girls as shields, the four made their way to the alley to their getaway car. Dirtbag Santa. Yeah. Like, these girls are never going to like Christmas ever again. No. (laughs) And this is two days before Christmas in 1927. You're literally in the middle of the drought, the recession, the, what's the... The the depression. Thank you. The depression. Wow, that was way harder than it needed to be. So people are already struggling and now you're going to throw emotional and physical trauma into this because inside the bank, when the police and the civilians were shooting inside the bank, um, there was a cashier was hit in the jaw. There was a couple of other people who were hit in the legs and the shoulders. So they were literally just shooting civilians. (laughs) They were just like plinking bullets all over the place. Nice, nice work. Nice work. Top-notch job. So, during the getaway... Top-notch job. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. You talk about as well as they rob banks. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> there are a couple of Veronicas. Yeah, exactly. So, during the getaway, both the police chief and another officer were ward- mortally wounded. So, now they've shot and killed two police officers, one being the chief. Leaving... Oh, well. Leaving one... Another... Good. Now they're cop killers. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, well, now they're cop killers. Exactly. Leaving one officer to near the chase. Officer Reddies ran to the police station, retrieved a rifle, and began pursuing the robbers on foot, a la Mel Gibson Lethal Weapon. So if you've ever seen those where he is literally just hauling balls, that's all I'm saying is this dude chasing after a car. Um, Ridiculous. So while he was running after the car... Um, a civilian came along, picked him up, and they continued the pursuit. Kind of with the villainy, uh, some on horseback, some in cars, chasing these guys across the state of Texas. Okay, uh, let's see. Pursuit with the uh, yeah. So, though Helms, Hill, and Ratliff had several wounds apiece, and they hadn't eaten for yep. several days. Like, they still had the two little girls with them up until almost the very end. So, these girls were missing for a couple of days. All they would eat in the evening is oranges, but they wouldn't share with the kids. Dickheads. They tried to set, steal several different cars. Um, so, apparently, they're also not car thieves. No. And one of the suspects, Lewis Davis, was actually shot and killed before they... Um, they found him in the original getaway car. He was unable I'm sorry to carry if you out. Can hear my dogs? No, I can't hear them. 
Okay, like I can hear Sydney and Humphrey both because <laughs> UPS or something is here and they're just uh. barking their brains out. Well, they have to protect you from the delivery of, you know, whatever of it Amazon. is. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so uh, Davis later died at the hospital of his wounds. And the stupid part is, is when they abandoned their original getaway car, they left most of the money with Davis. So they lost all of the money that they took. So all of this for absolutely nothing. Um, dumb and dumber, but for robbers. Jesus criminy. <laughs> So, uh, Helms, Hill, and Ratliff all survived um, to face trials. Helms was the second to stand trial after Ratliff. We'll get to Ratliff in a moment. He was identified as the one who gunned down both lawmen and was given the sentence. In late February, after unsuccessful insanity plea, he was executed by the electrical chair on September 6, 1929. In Huntsville, Texas. I mean, how can he? How can he plead insanity? Oh, all three of them tried. All, all I mean, you rare, rarely do you get the insanity plea. Like, you literally have to prove that you don't know the difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Well, in in nineteen twenty seven, even the insanity plea, like half of the time, they were like, "You're not crazy. You're just an asshole." So we're going to put you to death. You know? Yeah. Bye bye. Um, so yeah, that's all. I, I just have to keep reminding you, this is 1927. <laughs> this is more recent because what happened to Ratliff definitely happened in the twenties. Um, so let's see. Yeah, he, let's see. So he, apparently his last meal was cabbage, sausage, tomatoes, coffee, and pie. I mean, at least he got a piece of pie. It was decent. Um, Hill was the last to be tried. He pleaded guilty to the armed robbery and took the stand on his own behalf, crying for mercy and citing his unhappy childhood. In March, he was given a sentence of life imprisonment to 99 years. He escaped from prison three times, but was recaptured. Yeah, recaptured each time. After settling down, he was paroled in the mid-1940s, reportedly changed his name, and became a productive citizen. He passed away in 1996. Wow. Well, who knew? Right? Okay, so Ratliff, Santa Claus, the leader of this just storm fuckery. Satan Claus. (laughs) Was convicted of armed robbery on January 27th, 1928. He was also sentenced to 99 years in prison. Little 10-year-old Emma Mae Robinson testified, and she identified Ratliff as the man disguised as Santa Claus, who robbed the bank and kidnapped her. On the way to his cell, Ratliff muttered, that's no hill for a high stepper like me. Months later, on March 30th, he was sentenced to execution for his role in the deaths of Bedford and Carmichael, the police chief and his officer. Although no one could testify having seen Ratliff dressed as Santa, except for the little girl, fire a gun from the bank, Ratliff peeled his case and failed. He began behaving oddly in hopes of an insanity plea. He began acting insane. The day of Helm's execution, much to the conviction of his jailers, his mother, Rilla Carter, filled, filed for lunacy hearing in Huntsville. I'm sorry, my headphone keeps clicking on me and it's bothering the hell out of me. So, he got his stay. They, they're determining whether or not he's liable for execution. So, the civilians of Eastland County, Texas, grew infuriated to learn that Ratliff had not already been executed for his deeds and were further aggravated by this new development. So Judge Davenport ordered Ratliff be extradited to East County 
jail, writing a bench warrant for armed robbery of the Harris's Oldsmobile. That was one of the cars he tried to steal. On November 18th, while waiting execution okay. there, Ratliff feigned paralysis, convincing his jailers, Patrick Kilborn and Tom Jones, necessitating the two to feed and bathe him and take him to the toilet. Having duped the two jailers, the man who played Santa managed to get a hold of a six-shooter in an office desk, fatally wounding Tom Jones and violently fighting the second jailer in hand-to-hand combat, sometimes shooting a few rounds that, fortunately, Kilborn um, said missed their mark. Most of the town, including Kilborn's daughter, watched helplessly through the jail windows, unable to break open the steel door to help Kilborn as he pinned Ratliff down, beat him into unconsciousness, and then returned him to his cell. Yeah, this guy is a piece of crap. <laughs> like, and he thought he was going to get an insanity plea. He obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing insane about him is that he thought he was going to get away with it. Yeah. So lastly, this is how Ratliff ends his life, and I don't think it could have been any more perfect. Um, A crowd began to gather the next morning, and by nightfall had grown to nearly 2,000, all clamoring for Ratliff. Kilborn refused their demand, but was overpowered by 15 to 20 men who rushed in and dragged Ratliff out. They tied his hands and feet, carrying him to a vacant lot behind the local Majestic Theater on Mulberry Street, where the play, ironically, The Noose, was being presented. They then threw a rope over the gay wire between two telephone poles in which they intended to hang him. The first attempt, when the knot came loose, failed, and he fell to the ground. The second time, however, they used a stronger rope and were successful. His last words were, forgive me, boys, before he was hoisted 15 feet in the air and pronounced dead 20 minutes later, 9.55 p.m. on November 19th. Those people should be tried. Yeah, none of them ever were. Nobody was ever tried, convicted, no charges were ever brought up for anybody. I do not stand for vigilante justice. That's some bullshit. Yeah, I do not agree with lynching at all. But again, this is 1927. It happened more than often. Anyway, at the very end of this, um... Mm, That makes me mad. see. That makes me hella mad. Yeah. Tom Jones died later that evening, bringing the total of dead as the result of the Santa Claus bank robbery, including the three bank robbers, to six. Both little girls were retrieved without being harmed at the end of the situation, and after all the death sentences, um, the six body count and upwards of 15 civilian and police who were injured from gunshot wounds. So it was literally Tom fuckery from the beginning. Like, Good God. nothing went right for anybody that, in this situation. <laughs> like, literally, that guy, that morning, he just should have said, you know what? I think I'm going to sleep in. <laughs> I'm just going to stay here in my jammies, my flannel. <laughs> like, he just, he just should have said no. Like, that's like one of those situations, like, if you could see into the future, like, just don't. <laughs> right. Mm. Nothing is going to go right, even in the slightest for you. I understand, again, that the holidays, everybody loses their marbles during the holidays. But come on, people. Mm-mm. Not to that degree. No. No. No, 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 no. no. It was, they were on the run for nine days altogether. Well, I, uh, I don't have a story about anybody robbing any banks or armored cars, but I do have about a robbery that happened on Christmas Day. Some people decided to take advantage of the fact that it was Christmas, and they they used that 
to their to their advantage. They took advantage yeah. and they used it to their advantage. So, would you like to hear about a museum heist? I would. Because all I'm seeing right now is like the night at the museum thing. <laughs> so, like. December, Christmas morning, 1985. Well after Santa has flown by, I'm sure by now, Santa is back at the North Pole. And he's getting ready to add two men to his very, very, very naughty list. It would seem that that night, some of the guards had decided to become the perfect mixer for two novice robbers to pull off the heist of the year. Well, actually more like the heist of the century. The guards figured they would have a little party that night, thinking it's Christmas. What could go wrong? <laughs> little did they know that two thieves were casing the museum and were ready to take advantage of the museum's faulty alarm system. Apparently, bloop. What year did this happen in? 1985. Copy. And it happened in Mexico City. Ah. So apparently about eight months before the robbery, there was an 8.5 magnitude earthquake mm. in Mexico City. And that had damaged the alarm systems at oh. this museum. So okay. the burglars knew that they had this to their advantage. Oh, that's never good. They didn't know that they had some drunk guards. <laughs> so, car, uh, so there are a few Hispanic words in here. And I did have Google Translate try to read them to me. So I'm going to attempt. I said Mark try to say them to me so that I would say them right. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to screw them up anyway. So I'm sorry in <laughs> advance. Uh, Carlos Perches Trevino and Ramon Sardina Garcia spent six months planning the heist, visiting the museum more than 50 times and making note of details. They photographed the exhibition halls and artifacts. They studied schedules of the security guards and made sketches of their plans. On the night of the theft, the duo hopped a fence, crawled through an air conditioning duct, which, I'm sorry, crawling through that is not a quiet task, so the, drunk, the guards must have been trashed, like trash AF. Okay, all I'm saying now is the Boondock Saints and them dragging that big ass rope around. <laughs> and they made and so they made their way to the museum's Maya room, uh, where they spent thirty minutes loading up a canvas bag with what they could easily transport back through the air ducts. The thieves removed approximately a hundred and forty objects hailing from the Mayan, Aztec, and various other native Mexican oh, communities. Because of the object's small size, nearly all of them were approximately one inch in size, they were easily removed and transported. The stolen artifacts included a jade mosaic funerary mask and an obsidian monkey-shaped vase worth over $20 million. Oh the overall heist, though, of everything they took was well over a billion dollars. My God. Making it the largest museum heist in history. Oh my gosh. Right? The thieves knew what they were after since they took the best objects from each display. Museum curator Philippe Soleil uh, bemoaned, The theft has been, a has been a national tragedy. The thieves robbed a piece of our history. How can we put a price on it? Oh, below, below, below. <laughs> you, know how, you know how museum curators are like, Oh, it's my art. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Yes, I do, but I also understand how he feels. Like, right. that is a lot 
of history, like thousands of years worth of history, especially if it's Mayan and Aztec. Right. Super old. Oh, my gosh. Like, and like hard to find, too, because like, like all of it's like hidden in like jungles that nobody wants to go into because mosquitoes. Sure. We'll we'll call it mosquitoes. (laughs) I mean... You know, the I fact mean, that there's the deadliest venomous spider, birds that can kill you, jaguars, and oh, hey, let's don't forget about the anacondas. Sure, we'll call it the mosquitoes. <laughs> so it's like, it's like Australia, but not. Yeah. All right. Um, once they had the loot, the two amateur art thieves were unsure of what to do with it. The canvas bag full of priceless artifacts. Okay canvas tote bag like okay i'm gonna take these out and use this for groceries could you move remove the mayan mask please seriously the bat the mat the tote bag it sat on a shelf in a closet in trevino's house for a year that's exactly where priceless uh, aztec and mayan artifacts need to be is in a canvas bag on a shelf good idea oh yeah totally Totally. Uh, Trevino moved to the resort town of Acapulco. When living there, he made a giant, I I, I would say colossal mistake of trying to trade some of the items to a drug trafficker named Salvador Gutierrez in exchange for cocaine. Oh, my God. Be like, hey, can I trade you this $2 million or this $20 million jade mask for some coke, yo? Like, who does that? Uh, cokeheads. When, right. When Gutierrez showed little to no interest, Trevino took the state of the, took the state of stolen goods back to Mexico City. No! City. <laughs> Hi, that's me. I assume putting it back in his, clo- back on his, t- his closet shelf. Why not? So the saying honor among thieves holds no water here because when Gutierrez was arrested on drug charges in 1989, he 100% ratted their asses out. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, he was like, "Mm, if I'm going down, them assholes go with me. I'm taking everybody with me. True that. So the authorities swooped in to clean house. Fortunately, the thieves were found and the items were recovered. At the time, the director of collections in Los Angeles County, the Museum of Natural History, noted that it would be like trying to fence the Mona Lisa. A former dealer opined that no reputable dealer would go near that loot. Apparently, no drug dealer would go near it either. Yeah, there's a very small market of people out there that sells and trades and black market deals for art and stuff like that. Well, Drug dealers are not not them. But, I mean, to even know that, like, that's, like, a stolen antiquity, like, I mean, I wouldn't know. Like, if somebody tried to sell me something like that, I'd be like, oh, it's pretty, but I, how would I know that it was a stolen antiquity? Right. I'd be like, oh. Yeah, and then you'd probably end up getting caught with it and going to jail oh, for shit. receiving stolen goods. I'd be like, <laughs> I just bought it for some coke. Because I thought it was pretty. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, no. I wouldn't admit that I bought it for some Coke. That'd be so dumb. <laughs> that would be very dumb. Right. Especially for me. Uh, uh, many, <laughs> so many industry professionals were also concerned that the thieves would destroy the artifacts um, if they went unsold. Something often done in order to destroy evidence connecting to their uh, misdeeds or shenanigans. 
Although the targeted nature of the theft initially left Mexican officials to conclude their seasoned profession, they were seasoned professionals, potentially special agents of a foreign country such as CIA or KGB. So originally, Mexico City thought that they had been robbed by the CIA or the KGB. Okay. Apparently, it's a very common thing for like foreign countries to steal Mexican artifacts. It's uh, okay. I don't know why our CIA would. But I guess back in, you know, 1980, like early 1980s and stuff, that was still mm-hmm. like during some of the Cold War stuff. So they... Everybody just, was blaming you know, the spooks. Being paranoid because... Right. And everybody yeah. was had red fever and was terrified of the KGB anyways. And the CIA because the CIA was some scary ass mofos. Mm. Still are. Yes, they are. Best serial killers ever. I don't want to know. <laughs> They assumed that it was KGB or CIA were responsible and that the objects had been exported to the U.S. for uh, sale. The truth was far different. Oddly, it ended up being a pair of amateur veterinary school university dropouts. Oh, that's special. Like, that's who two veterinary school university dropouts have pulled off the world's biggest heist to date. From a museum. And they would have gotten away with it if it wouldn't have been for those meddling kids. And those drug dealers. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) So as one of the largest pre-Columbian artifact thefts in history, the heist has a profound impact on the collective imagination. The heist spurred a 2017 film titled Museo. God, I hope I said that right. Yes, because it's not Muso. It's Museo. Ha ha. Uh, <laughs> I said it the first time. I was like, Muso. And Mark's like, Museo. And I'm like, but it's spelled Muso. M U S E O. Muso. And he's like, but in they say the letters. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. Because <laughs> I speak real good other languages, let alone my own. Right. Right. I butcher every language. Which Mexican actor um, Gael Garcia Bernal filmed in. The film recognizes that the Christmas Day theft was not the first instance of plunder from Mexico because the indigenous people of the nation had long faced the tragic theft of their heritage. So the film kind of got a little dip- uh, not diplomatic. Political? Thank you. Political. Diplomatic. Problematic. I Everything. Quite poignantly, Museo opens with the footage of the removal of the monolith Tacloc I'm going to say this one wrong. Talak Talalak Talalak. See, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Hispanic cultures. I'm terrible with words, but it's it's T L A L O C, and I think it's Talak Talalak Talalak. Okay. Yeah. The Aztec God of Rain. Now that you've listened to me try to say that for the last 30 seconds. (laughs) It was discovered in the 19th century in Cotlachan. I think I sounded more Asian than I sounded Hispanic there. But in 1964, the 168-ton statue was moved. Because why? Why? Because, because... We told them to move it. Okay. Because we're assholes. 
The statue was moved to Mexico City to be displayed outside the National Museum of Anthropology. In doing so, the revered statue was removed from its original home, and some locals even protested the move. The film makes several references to theft of indigenous items and cultural significance, including the statement that Montezuma's headdress... Oh, this part pisses me off, by the way. Sorry. I had to include this, even though this doesn't really have anything to do with the other heist. It just pisses me off. Um, the statement that Montezuma's headdress in Mexico City Museum is a copy... A copy... Because the original was already stolen. The famed headdress made of nearly 500 quetzal feathers with sewn gold detailing was removed from Mexico, most likely during the 16th century. It eventually became part of the Museum of Ethnology in Vienna, Austria. Yeah, you know, for all those Germans. Hispanic people that live in Austria. Yeah. Right. In 1991, the Mexican government formally requested the return of the treasure, but the Austrian museum declined, stating it was not possible to safely return the cultural jewel. You I'm sorry, we can't return your item because it's not safe. No, no, you do not get to deny a culture their right. Right. No. I'm sorry. You're German. Let's see. Let me let me go find something of your cultural heritage and take it and I'll just hold it hostage because you don't have anything about Montezuma in your damn country. Right. So fuck off. Give me my headdress back. Right. Sorry. That just pisses me off. Like, I'm sure you're not the only one. I bet you there's lots of Hispanic people that are like, we're right there with you, Rin. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, then I also noted, granted, Austria is very well known for keeping art that isn't theirs and not giving it back. And that's even to their own fucking citizens. Yep. Like, I don't know, Jewish people? Jewish people? people? Mm-hmm. But then I said, but that's for another podcast on another episode. <laughs> but that's for another day. That's, that's for another, that's a whole nother rant. We're going to need to make sure we have blood pressure medicine for that one because, whew, Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to need some wine for that one right? because I oh I will go off. Oh. I might need a Xanax after that one. <laughs> I might have to visit I might have to go visit Illinois and get some chewables. <laughs> <laughs> see how I said chewables? Yes. I I I see what okay. you did there. So so apparently, pre-Columbian artifacts have become increasingly popular among collectors, fetching millions of dollars at auction, though without con- though not without controversy. In September of 2019, a French auction house proceeded with the sale of dozens of such artifacts, despite concerns from Mexican and Guatemalan governments that the items were looted. The lots sold for $1.3 million, twice the initial estimate. These artifacts have also been subject to wider debates of colonialism and illicit trafficking. Now, more than ever, it is crucial for collectors to and purchasers and sellers of art and antiquities to include archaeological pieces to do their due diligence and establish the province of items. The province is the history, ownership, and identity of an object. It can include auction houses, dealers, or galleries that have sold an item, the private or institutional collections in which the item has been held, and exhibitions where the item has been displayed. So that is about the museum heist and... 
also a little bit about um, pre-Columbian and Mayan and Aztec artifacts and things like that, because I just think that's really wrong of other nations to try and take their stuff. While that is not an art style that has ever piqued my interest, it is mondo shitty of other nations to take it from them because I know that it is a very deep, deep, rich culture because they they did a lot of stuff um, and documented a lot of things long before, you know, other cultures other cultures did and so they have things that people want and because it's interesting and it's part of it's not necessarily part of like how they have Montezuma's headdress it's not necessarily part of their the German heritage it's just part of human heritage and I think that's how Germany views it they see it as human heritage um, because a lot of people you know they consider like different parts of like the Aztec and Mayans and all of that like you know where life began because th there's different stories and again another podcast um <laughs> but you know it's just it's super shitty like it's fine that the two hispanic guys robbed the museum i mean okay let me preface that by saying no it's not fine that they did that but i mean <laughs> i would rather two hispanic guys rip off a hispanic museum than the cia rip off the museum like don't be dicks yeah did the two guys, did they get put in jail? Or? Um, You know, they did both go to jail. I didn't get a lot of, there was not a lot of information about the two robbers other than the fact that they were college, that they were veterinary college dropouts. Like people's brains were blown that they were 100% yeah. average, normal guy you meet next door. Like they were not even criminal thieves. Like. Like, well, obviously not. <laughs> they got caught because of something stupid. I mean, they were not they even they were masterminds. They were career criminals. They it just wasn't mm. their thing. Like they had gone to university and they were educated and things like that. They were just looking for a way out of Mexico City. They wanted to live a better life, and they thought, mm -hmm. okay, well, we could pull off this heist and we could, you know, eventually fence the antiquities. But I mean, I don't even know how you get entangled with a drug lord, like. Oh, drug lord, that's easy. I would have a bigger problem actually stumbling into the black market dealings. Yeah, like, like that to me, that would be so much harder because you can actually work, you know, the drug dealers from any angle. Go start from the street and work your way up. I don't know how to find a drug dealer. I do. <laughs> I've never sought one out, but being in law enforcement, they're not difficult to find. I mean... Start with the junkies, the dumb junkies on the street. They'll run their mouth and do anything they can for a hit, and you just keep it rolling from there on up. Yeah, like, I have no idea, like... I mean, I guess I know, like, back in my party kid days, yes, I, maybe I would know how to find things, because I knew kids that sold drugs. Mm -hmm. But, like... They didn't get their stuff from anybody hot. Like, they were just, like, minor pill, pill peddlers, you know? Mm -hmm. So, although I did realize, so I'm going to I'm gonna do a little confession here. Long time ago, I think I was, I want to say I was 21 years old, maybe 20. Uh, I was going to a party in Seattle, and my friend Ethan, who we all called Ethan, Asked if I would 
smuggle something into the party for him because they don't check girls the same way they check guys. And I was like, sure! Like, did not even think about the fact that I was literally walking into a party, being patted down with like 70 pills on me, like intent to sell felony under my boobs. Good times. <laughs> what was I what was I doing? Like I think uh, about this now as an adult. I'm like oh being a 21-year-old kid. <laughs> right? Like, oh my god. So yeah, that's that was my stupidity. So for people out there still maybe getting those last one or two Christmas presents, do not try to take over an armored car. Do not try to rob a bank. Do not try to rob a museum. No one wants to fence your items. <laughs> You're not going to get away with it as Santa. So really what we're trying to say is that your best bet is to become a drug lord and just sell drugs. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. We're not saying that at all. Don't, don't do that. A, that's do a not. terrible idea. I repeat, do don't not do that. Do that. <laughs> no, we here at I Love a Good Rabbit Hole do not condone um, drug selling of any sort unless you are an authorized, licensed uh, pharmacist. pharmacist that can sell medications to people or you live in a state where um, legal marijuana is legalized and you can sell from one of those distribution places. I don't know what they call those. Dispensaries. Uh, dispensaries thank you i was like distribution places i'm like thinking it's like amazon (laughs) (sighs) um so you know uh, but if you don't live in one of those states then just enjoy your beer and uh wine and hard alcohol Mm -hmm. because that's all you're going to get in your life and be grateful that you don't live in a dry county and be grateful that prohibition has ended Mm. exactly so what are your thoughts on uh on our crazy robbery people like if you could steal any one thing in the world, what would you steal? Hmm. That's really interesting. I don't know. Really? I, I, like, honestly, I have absolutely, like, I'm thinking maybe I would steal some art or something. Like, Yeah, your walls do need some art. Well, my art's in storage right now. I need to go back down and get it. Oh, maybe that's what I would do. I would steal... The original Johannes Vermeer's Girl with the Pearl Earring. Oh, that would look so nice over your bed. Yeah. Matt actually bought me a print of it, the same size as the original painting and everything. And again, it's it's in storage. It's my favorite thing to look at. I absolutely love my painting. That is a good one. So mine would be a toss-up between what I would want to steal. Like, I would either want to go to the Louvre and steal the um, like the original Sunflowers by Van Gogh, because that is nice. like my favorite. I've seen one of the sunflowers that he painted, the one that is in the Philadelphia Museum. I've seen that one. Uh-huh. But that's not the one. That's not the iconic one that's at the Louvre. But like I've seen one, but I want to see the, I, I, I would want to own yeah. that one. Or I would just want to go on like arm loading up throwing the shit on my head around my neck through mm. the crown jewels man just like yeah yo like load my shit up i'm blinging today like i would just and i would walk out of there with her scepter and being like, like blink, blink, blooping people blink. as you go by 
you have no idea. I would I would bop so many rabbits on the head. Right? Popping them on the head. So we didn't I, I didn't do this story because it just recently happened like in July of this year. There was an armored car heist outside uh-huh. of California. Like um it was not of one of the regular sized box trucks. It was like a tractor trailer. And there was two mm-hmm. security guards with it that were transporting millions of dollars of jewels and gems from a jewel and gem show. Oh, God. $150 million worth of jewels and gems. God, I love crystals, jewels, gems, diamonds, sapphires, rubies. Gone. Oh. And they were all in there from like, from like the smallest ones up to like uncut. Oh, Jewels. Yeah. Yeah, all all gone. I love gemstones. I love them so much. Like, sparkly and pretty? Yes, I love them. Like, I don't even care if they're rhinestones. Like, give me some, give me some obnoxious, like, layered rhinestone jewelry. Like, I'll put a big old choker on. Give me a tiara (laughs) for my head. You name it, I want it all. If it sparkles and glitters and freaking bejeweled my ass, hello, Taylor Swift. Like, I would be, I like, I would be robbing my ass some Tiffany's, some De Beers, some Henry Weinstein, not Henry Weinstein, Henry Winston, Henry yeah. Weinstein, some Henry Winston, some Hope Diamond. Like, I would just be like on a, I would be hitting every jewelry thing I could find because <laughs> I would just want a, I would want a room full of sparkly stuff. Sparkly, like magpie my ass out. Yeah, like, oh. like I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my like, like literally right here next to me is, <laughs> is a crown. Like I have crowns all over my house. I have two crowns that sit in my office. At, at here, I have this one here. I have another one in the bedroom. Like I just have, like I will randomly buy a crown from Amazon because it looks pretty. There you go. I love them. So if we have any listeners and they're wondering like what to get me for Christmas, I wear a size crown. <laughs> there you go. Like that's me. That's 100%. Yeah, I wear a size crown. But I do hope everybody ha- is having a great Christmas and I hope you are enjoying yes. your cookies and your eggnog. <laughs> eggnog. Hope, hope you're enjoying your eggnog. <laughs> Don't offer me any. I won't want some. No. But I will state that you can find us on Instagram and Twitter under uh, Like Rabbit Holes. If you have any questions or story ideas, or if you'd just like to email us to say hello, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at likerabbitholes at gmail.com. Please feel free to drop us a review on Apple. It does really help us out. Uh, It helps us spread our word words our warmth and cheer noise (laughs) our our warmth and cheer it helps us spread our joy it sounds dirty yeah Mm, my bad okay so it does really help us out um so if you do listen to us on apple please by all means give us a review also give us a review on spotify if you listen to us there listen listen to us i can't talk right now As always, wherever you are, have a wonderful morning, night, or afternoon. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Take care of one another. Gonna go annoy my brother. I don't have a brother or a mother. No, I do have a mother. She's alive. No, no, she's not. She's dead. Dang. I'm dumb. I'm gonna stop now. Bye.